Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. My name is Joe Armstrong, and this is another episode of Independence Day, the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, the Far West. Music allows us to time travel. Put on a song that we loved in high school and we are right there, dancing nervously and closely in the gym, or cruising out of the parking lot at 2.50 p.m. with the stereo blaring. And some music takes you to a specific place, even if you were never there. The Far West plays music that would sound right coming out of a Chevy's AM radio in Joshua Tree, California in 1972. Singer Lee Briante's John Prineworthy croaky baritone is out front, but all five members of the Broken West play like they're making music together at the same time, which seems like a rare commodity in the new millennium. They have an affinity for recording their music live in non-traditional spaces, a garage, a VFW hall, and that practice delivers an authenticity that transfers from their live shows to their albums and back again. They have the classic lineup of two guitars, bass, drums, and keyboards, and this instrumentation serves them and their music well. Close your eyes and spin their new album, Any Day Now, and you'll soon find your mind wandering and riding the back roads of American Roots music, sitting brokenhearted on the wheel well in the bed of a rusty pickup truck. There aren't a lot of surprises here, but sometimes it's nice to know where you're going. Just relax, feel the wind in your hair, and enjoy the ride. Welcome to Independence Day, the Far West. Hello. Thanks for having us. There's a lot of you. I've got a lot of you crammed into my my studio slash living room. It's great. It's dual dual purpose space. Let's go around the room. Let's introduce everybody so we know what we're dealing with here because there are five of you. And let's start over here on guitar. Uh, Aaron Baker. Aaron Baker, and you were from Chicago. Yes. You and I have that in common. Yes. It'll come back. It'll be like a theme. Sure. It'll come back up right? in, in the interview here. Right Next, on. we have Lee Briante. And you, what do you do in the band, Lee? I am the singer. I play mediocre rhythm guitar. Yeah. What's about as good as you need for most bands, man? Three chords and the truth, right? Sometimes you, you don't even need the truth. Uh, next, Michael Whiteside. I play the keyboards. Michael, where are you from? From Southern Illinois originally. Oh, what's how far down? Uh, about 500 miles south of Chicago. Oh, that's close, way far. Now it's yeah. like a metropolis area. Close to Carbondale. Ah, Carbondale. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, I like Carbondale. Good mountain biking there, right? <laughs> yeah, lots of lots of beautiful country. There. I went to uh, college at Millican University, which is in Decatur, not too far from there. Yeah, I know Decatur. Somewhat far. It's where uh, Cameron's dad from uh, Ferris Bueller. The big joke is he was in Decatur on business. Oh yeah, which of course. <laughs> anyway, and next, Robert Black. I play bass. Bass player. And where are you from? Uh, South Texas. Ah, beautiful. Love it there. Yeah. Good good, uh, good food. Yeah, agreed. Like Austin? How far yeah. or farther south? Uh, the furthest south I lived was Corpus Christi. Corpus Grew Christi. Grew up in Corpus and Austin. Very nice. I love Austin. When I moved to Los Angeles, that was my other option was Texas, but yeah. I know it's the ocean, the mountains, right. you know, <laughs> onerous taxes. I, couldn't get, I can't get enough being taxed, really, yeah. is what it is. I love California. And last but certainly not least... Andrew Smith. Andrew and I Smith. I play the drums and the percussion. Drums and the percussion. And where are you from? San Francisco. Ah, I love the San Francisco. I love all these. I love, I love traveling. Now, let's, let's just jump right into this, man. I mean, first of all, thank you guys for taking the time out of your busy, busy schedules coming up here. You've got a show coming up at the Grand Ole Echo before too terribly long, which just got rolling a few weeks ago this year. It's a great series put on every Sunday night at the Echo, and it's really cool because it's, it's like a family show. You can bring kids. You can, there's a grill out back and there's two bands and it's, it's very like, I don't know, it's just it's laid back in a way that a lot of shows aren't and it's free too. Yeah. So let's stress that. 
right out of the gate. And they do, uh, during the changeovers, they usually have a band out back yeah, on the patio, yeah. so there's continuous music. Yeah, and it's a really, really fun thing. I don't make it to all of them because it's kind of a commitment to do that, but I try to get to as many of them as I can. And I really think people should come out and see you guys because you guys will play last probably on, on the Sunday night, which is May, good Lord, it's coming up real fast here. Fourth. This Sunday, which is May 4th. Okay, so uh, let's talk a little bit about, stylistically speaking, you guys fall very much in the tradition of the band, or Uncle Tupelo, Sun Volt. Uh, and there's even, actually, when, I, when you were playing, you know, before setting up, there's almost a little Grateful Dead that kind of seeps in, too. And it was, so when this band formed, was, was, that must have been a conscious thing, like, we're going to do this style, or did it just kind of happen with this group of musicians? Which, which more is it? It really happened. We just like all those bands and, and many others. And I think we just bring that to the table. We take everything from Hank Williams to Grateful Dead and, yeah. uh, you know, Flaco Jimenez. We were talking about him earlier. Just yeah. so many groups that we love, especially Towns Van Zandt. And, yeah. Uh, we take that and we throw it in the blender and see what we get. Yeah. Little Americana grab bag. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, for people who don't know, like, if, if you had to describe to someone who just landed here from Poland <laughs> or whatever, uh, how would you describe what alt country is? Because I mean, I know what I think it is, but it means there's like this doesn't even have one singular name. You know, you've got the no depression, alt country, Americana. What is it? If you had to describe it to somebody, I feel like it's it's uh, all of the roots and the roots music that inspired country and folk, and it's just a way to differentiate it from the modern auto tune hip hop country that's coming out of Nashville right now. Nashville. It's basically, or Nashville. Nashville. What did I say? You said Nashville. I did say Nashville. Yeah, it's the it's basically country that has nothing to do with what's currently called country, the country pop stuff. You know, it's. I feel like what I'm hearing in Nashville right now is to country what Kenny G is to jazz. Yeah, it's, yeah, or what Britney Spears is to jazz, really. <laughs> <laughs> just, well, pop, you know, pop has become kind of a bad word. Right. Pop music didn't used to suck, for lack of a better word. That's right. You know, you could. You know, the Beatles were pop. I mean, Cheap back, trick. Van Halen was kind Love of pop. pop music. Yeah. You know, pop music was a thing. I mean, and some people love it even now. But, you know, to, to your point, the, uh, the auto-tune nature of our modern pop music and, like, the machine of that kind of thing. Like, I feel like it's a, it's a conveyor belt that it stamps out a song and then the conveyor belt and the lyrics stamps are, out and another song. the lyrics song. are terrible. It's yeah. all about, you Wait, know... But it has lyrics, too? It's all about <laughs> name-dropping, you know, uh, my Corona and my Ford truck and my hot yeah. tub. It's all about, like, name-dropping product. product. It's weird. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, now, you said it, it inspired country before, you know, because I, but country ostensibly came before alt country. So, I mean, I always just kind of felt like it was people, you know, it started out, it seems like it was rock musicians who had gotten bored with, with rock. You know, it wasn't, right. you know, rock by the 90s, by the late 80s, early 90s had become you know, corporatized once, twice, three times over, and people were looking for new kinds of inspiration. The, I think the alt-country thing kind of started in the late 60s, you know, with, like, the band and those, like, Working Man's yeah. Dead records. And it was, I think it was just the rock guys discovering the older, you know, Carter family and just, like, the British guys discovering the blues, you know, like Muddy yeah. Waters and all that. I think, you know, in the late 60s, people started to be more aware of, like, you know, those Alan Lomax recordings yeah. and the, you know, Carter family and, uh, you know, some of the, that era, right? Um, or really old folk music, really old folk stuff music stuff from Ireland and stuff yep. from Appalachia. Yeah, I feel like it existed as a thing, uh, you know, as a genre long before it had a name. 
you know, like the Stones would play Sweet Virginia right. and uh, Dead Flowers. Right. And Pink Floyd, you know, David Gilmour would play pedal steel on certain stuff. Right. And, you know, the Beatles didn't flirt with it that much, a little bit. But a lot of those bands, like, flirted with other things. But it didn't have a name, <laughs> you know, until bands like Uncle Tupelo, bands like the Jayhawks, uh, Ryan Adams. It kind of codified into this thing. But even still to this day, it doesn't have a singular name. Yeah, right. and by the seventies and eighties, you know, that was the era of everything had to be categorized, kind of the big corporate era of, yeah. of music business. So everything had to fit in a category. So I think that's where that comes Yeah, like, it's from. funny to talk about it now, like I, I call them kids, but like the kids, there's no record store to go to and therefore there's no bin to put it in. Like right. back then it was a bin, it was a physical bin. Like they had to have the rock bin and once upon a time that was the big bin. All the stuff that I loved, I knew where to go. And like the jazz bin was like two, right. two little things. And the country was maybe, you know, three or four times the size of the jazz one. But now there's no bin. You know, it's, we've, we've disassociated ourselves from these sorts of things. And that's, that's what's so interesting to me about you guys as a band is that you're kind of a throwback in this world where it's all digital. Like you guys pressed vinyl, though. We mm-hmm. did. Of the record, the most recent record. Did you do the first one vinyl too or just, just, just digital vinyl, CDs? Just, we did CDs for that one. We, we didn't do vinyl for the first one. Yeah. Because you, I mean, now even bands, like when you went to record this album, did you always know it was going to be an album? You know, a, yes. a set of songs that hung together. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Because yeah. that's the thing. Like, I, I get, I'm an old school guy. I'm kind of anachronistic when it comes to that kind of thing. Like, when I do a record, all my records are sequenced as side A and side B. Right. Even if it's only on a, a CD, I feel like music is more easily digestible as little chunks. Right. You know, it's like a thematic thing, like placing songs where they should be in the order. Very, very important. We thought of it that way. Yeah. Well, good. We're all on the same page. Look at it like two EPs. Yeah. That sort yeah, of sort of. All right, so I'm talking with the band, The Far West. They're a Los Angeles-based band. They fall kind of in the alt-country tradition. Really, really like what they do. They've got two albums out and a brand new one, which just came out earlier this year. That record is called Any Day Now. You can pick that up at shows. You can pick it up. Are you guys on CD Baby? Are you guys on Amazon? Amazon, iTunes. All the usual spots. All the usual mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. You know, that's become, at one point, that was a big challenge in the business, was how to get through. But that's, that's one of the problems I think has been solved is a way for people to get music digitally. Now, yeah. like you get in with CD Baby and they've got sideways deals and it just goes everywhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So let's let's hear a track from this record. Uh, we've picked a tune. Uh, what is that tune, I think? I, I can't see the little sheet. The, the Bright, bright side. side. The Bright Side. Okay, so this is The Far West with a track from their brand new record, Any Day Now, here on Independence Day. Right in your world, I can't believe. 
taking lots of risks After all this time spent losing You think I'd get used to it Here's some news worth breaking You got something to say Joe Armstrong, you are listening to Independence Day. Tonight's guest is the Far West. They're a Los Angeles-based band who are loosely alt-country in affiliation and style. I'm big fans of these guys. They had a brand new record drop just a couple months ago in February. It's called Any Day Now. You can pick it up at all the usual spots and learn about them at thefarwestband.com. So, gentlemen, great track. Cool stuff. And you guys press vinyl for that, too, right? Not just CDs? That's right. We did. We'd press vinyl. Uh... But only only uh, digital for the first record, That's right? right? So now, the funny thing about being alt country, you know, especially because you guys are, are pretty straight ahead, you you kind of lean towards the countryside. It seems like to me, it's less less rock and roll. Um, is there anything anachronistic about living in a digital age and making music? That's that harkens back to a different time of analog recording and tube microphones, and uh, or is it just kind of the way you go about doing what you do, Lee? Uh, sorry. Let me rephrase that. Let me put it to you a different yeah. way. Um, you know, there we have we live in a social media world where we've got the internet. We've got all information ever accessible to man in our pockets at all times. You know, but so what, but you're playing this music that's ostensibly from a different era. We could pick your band up and drop you in 1972, and it would fit in just fine. Uh, is there any kind of disconnect at all from having so much digital technology? Like when you record your music, do you record on analog tape? When you connect with your fans, do you send them letters? Or do you actually maintain a social media presence? Do you, does, you know, who manages the Twitter account? Who manages the Facebook account? These are things that you know, we all kind of have to do nowadays. Yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up. We have to do it. So I don't really like that stuff, that aspect of it, but it is part of the landscape now, so... It'd be a lot cooler to work on tape and just press yeah. vinyl and have correspondence via uh, the post with with people, but um, it's a digital world now, so that's yeah. that's part of the deal, I guess. Yeah, it's 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 cheaper too. I mean, I would love to record on analog, but right. I mean, a reel of analog tape. I mean, even back in the day, was a couple hundred bucks. You know, now we're looking at it's even more and, and maintaining the tape machines. These are lost arts. You know, maintaining a two inch twenty four track or sixteen track tape machine is a whole skill unto itself. That's yeah. right. You know? We did do one song to tape, a uh, Roxy Music cover, about two years ago, and it sounds great, and we'd love to do an album that way, but like you said, it's just cost-wise, it doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah, yeah. The upshot of the, of the digital age, this is Robert, but the upshot of the digital age is that we can go from uh, demo to finished product a lot faster. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's definitely, it's shortened that timeline for everything. That's right. You know, now, you know, there's a, the music business tends to ebb and flow in terms of albums versus singles. 
And, you know, now there's nothing preventing a band from recording something on their laptop or an artist recording something on their laptop and just uploading it to SoundCloud that night. That's right. You know, rendering the album completely, you know, moot. Just, you know, make music and distribute it yourself as you create it. You know, which brings to mind, you know, you, how independent are you guys? I mean, do you guys have a label? Do you have a booking person? Do you, you know, how do you manage, like, the, the business aspect of what you do? Um, yeah, those pieces we do have in place over the last six months to a year. We have a small record uh, deal with uh, Medina River Records, which also has Rod Melanson, who was a guest with you. So we're one of two artists on Medina, and we do have a great booking agent in Mongrel Music, who also Tim Easton, you mentioned, was a guest. He is on there as well as Chuck Prophet and Charlie Hunter Trio and Chris Smither and some great folks. So those pieces took about three years to get into place, but we do have those now. I would still say we're independent artists, though. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, almost everyone is independent to a certain extent nowadays. You know, even bands, you know, like... uh, like the Jayhawks, for example. I mean, I'm on Facebook. You follow, follow them on Facebook. They've been remastering a lot of their albums that came out in the early 2000s, late 90s, like Smile, uh, Rainy Day Music. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, they're, they're independent to a certain extent. You know, I think they're on a label. But the relationship, even a band like at that stature, or Orion Adams, or, or Radiohead, for example, the, the artist-label relationship has changed dramatically. Artists don't need them because the cost of making records has gone down quite a bit. Do you guys know, I mean, how much did it cost to make this most recent record, like Ballpark? Because it's not, it's gone down a lot. Yeah, well, we... We um, paid for the recording ourselves. We didn't have the deal in place till after the uh, tracking was done. So, I think cost-wise, it was probably two or three thousand bucks. Yeah, that's amazing. Mostly gas. <laughs> yeah, gas and uh, burgers. Plus, plus gas and tacos, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, that's just it. You know, you can do the whole process. Did you master it yourself, or did you send it away to be mastered? Um, Michael, our piano player, mastered it. Yeah, because you can do that. I mean, the last record I did, you know, we were going to send it away. And then for the amount, I mean, as much as we respect the artistry of a good mastering engineer's ears and their amazing gear that they have in their facilities usually, you know, it was cost prohibitive. You know, rather than spend $600, we could buy the, we could buy a really high-end mastering suite of software for a couple hundred bucks. Well, it's the thing you were talking earlier about the expense of tape and, you know, the quality of the digital uh, gear now compared to even 10 years ago. Remember how terrible... 16-bit digital yeah. sounded. Yeah, uh, it was horrible, and at that point, it was still worth it to go out of your way and try to use tape. But you know, now the bit rates are so high, and the quality of the digital is so good. It's you know, it's if you know what you're doing before you hit the air quotes for radio tape. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you can you can trick trick the ear pretty good. Uh, you know, it's pretty high fidelity. So for any day now, was that recorded digitally? It was. Yeah, it was tracked to. Pro Tools Pro tool. to somebody's laptop, yeah. uh, Pro Tools with, you know, a 16, uh, you know, $500 16-channel interface, uh, interface, you know, and, and whatever mics anyone could bring. It was all about just the, the key factor to that was getting the drum sound in the room yeah. uh, to where we liked it. And then everything else is pretty easy. Drums are, are the trickiest part because they cover the highest dynamic range. You've got the sizzle, the cymbals, all the way down to the low end of the kick. Right. You know, vocals and guitars are all pretty mid-range, so those are fairly easy to capture. Yeah, and getting drum sounds is kind of a voodoo art 
you know, there are people who spend their entire lives perfecting getting their drum if, sounds. If you have a good drum sound, you have a good sounding record. If you have a boxy yeah. drum sound, you have a boxy sounding record. If you have, you know, the drums really kind of drive the boat. Yeah, and we're in an era where, again, like the, the, the way things are recorded kind of ebbs and flows, too. Whether things, you know, in the 80s, it was all gated reverbs. And right. in the 70s, it was like super dry sounding drums with really deep snares. Like if you listen to the Eagles' The Long Run, right. yeah. if you listen to that album, the kick and the snare are almost indistinguishable from one another. Fleetwood Mac Rumors <laughs> or Highway to Hell. <laughs> You know, they're, they're, they're like, like kind of two things. Like they almost, it's like they put a set of snares on a kick drum and he had two of them. He just went back and forth. That's what it sounds like. But then the 90s came along and it was all piccolo snares. Oh, right. You know, and then thankfully, <laughs> and the, the 80s had the gated thing and the, and the, uh, the uh, Phil Collins toms, mm -hmm. you know, such a yeah. distinct, you know, and then Jeff Lynn with his style of the drums, you know, then, and then the 90s like kind of opened everything up and everything started sounding more real and organic. And now I think we're, you know, veering a little bit the other way. You know, we had like the, like reverb is back in a That's big right. way. And for a lot of people, like the, the Fleet Foxes record dropped, the very first one, I was like, oh my God, awesome. someone has a lexicon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. it was so, it seemed like so obvious that, that, uh, that was just the per pervasive sound on that record. Um, and the, these things have been flow. Was there, you know, who engineered the record? Did you guys do it yourself? Or you know, I know you had a producer who you worked with on the record. Uh, yeah, Colin McLean is kind of our producer and engineer. He okay. did the first album as well, which okay. was recorded in an American Legion Hall. Yeah. Um, so kind of sticking to using unusual places. This one was recorded at a vintage hot rod restoration place where he works. Yeah. So we had access to that building, which is, you know, 15 foot ceilings and very cavernous. And that's... Uh, I think that comes across in the drum sound because the drums are in the main big room there and it's really kind of Yeah. It's, it's printed natural. to tape. Yeah. That sound is there. There's no, uh, you know, adding the reverb later yeah, or taking yeah, yeah. it away. But that was kind of a neat part of it because we tend to record pretty live. Uh, Lee likes to keep, uh, do scratch vocals, but I say scratch yeah. again with air quotes uh, and, you know, go for keeper vocals. So when we would do a take and we would go into the, back into the booth to play it back we were hearing it pretty much how it was going to sound on the record that that yeah. reverb drum sound was built in uh we were listening to his vocals to see if that was going to be a keeper take so it was it gave us a nice perspective yeah, as, yeah. To, as opposed to you know when you do everything separate in a professional studio and it's dry it's a rough mix and it really has no bearing on how it's going to sound once it's mixed and yeah. all the ambience is added in we had the amb ambience built in so it made it easier to choose if yeah. it was that the take or there's not. a lot to be said for working with what you have you know like something i've been thinking about a lot recently just in general is how your limitations become part of your art but that's not a bad thing. You know, it, it kind of pushes you to be creative in different ways that you, you know, creative with your process, not just creative with your songwriting or your arranging, creative mm -hmm. with the recording process. Because that's one thing, you know, lo-fi is a really big deal now, but some of that is born out of the fact that people have, you know, don't have any training. They can right. go buy an SM57 and a 58 and an M-Box and a laptop. They might already have a laptop and they've got GarageBand already. So for, if they've already got the laptops or for 500 bucks or less, they've got all the stuff they need to do to make a record essentially and but they have no training in terms of sound so is is what they're doing wrong not necessarily is it wrong in terms of like perfect audio steely dan audio yeah absolutely but they're still making art and they're just doing what they're doing by dropping that 57 in front of whatever they do and just recording it you know and some people do that better than other people um it does you know stephen stevens 
recorded. He was on a, a he recorded a lot of stuff on a Roland VS eight eighty, which was this tabletop like pre you know, Pro Tools was around, but it was kind of nascent technology at the time. And those things didn't sound all that great. Right. <laughs> they were really hard to work with. But he did amazing music on that little thing. I think if the songs are there, that you can record on anything. Yeah. If, if you listen to maybe Alan Lomax's field recordings yeah. or maybe Lee Scratch Perry records, uh, from an engineering standpoint, an engineer listens to those records and says, well, this is, this is not good. Yeah. But to the music fan, you listen to it and you say, the songs are here. This is great. Anyway, you've got piles of instruments here in my living room slash studio. Uh, why don't you guys play a tune for me? What's this first tune going to be? The first song we're going to do is the first song off the new record. It's called On the Road. On the Road. All right. This is the Far West. I'm so happy to have these guys on the show. Let's check this out. Dusty road. And we 
Very, very nice. Love that tune. Love the up-tempo. Love the Hammond organ. I'm such a big fan of organic things that spin. It's a great tune. Uh, you can learn everything you need to know about the Far West at thefarwestband.com. Also, facebook.com slash thefarwest. On Twitter, thefarwestband. That's at thefarwestband. And Instagram, too. Instagram.com slash thefarwestband. And just before you guys played that tune, we were talking a little bit about recording in non-traditional spaces. And you guys did two records in kind of two different ways. Talk to me a little bit about the first one. Was this like completely live? It's like how live was it? Is the big question. Um, that was pretty live. That was done at the American Legion Post Four One Six, which is down in Encinitas, and we had been playing a lot of shows there. And kind of that's where we started as a band, more or less, was in that bar. Um, so when it came time to make a record, uh, budget. Constraints kind of define what yeah. we were going to do, and, and they were game to have us use the space as a recording studio. So, Colin McLean, who produced this record as well, he was game to bring his gear down there. And they gave us, I think, um, four days. They said, You can do it here as long as we can open the bar and operate as per usual. Okay. So, there's even um, people drinking in there when we're doing this, and you can hear some glasses clinking and yeah. conversations in the background, which I love about the record. But basically, we went in there and did the set that we were doing, the original material that we were doing at that bar, and as much live as we could. The drums were in the main room, Robert was in the kitchen, I was in the bingo room, and the pedal steel guy was in the uh, extension of the bingo room. So we could kind of peek around the, the door frames and see each other. And it's pretty much live. I think the piano is real piano, is grand piano. So that wasn't there. That was overdubbed. And uh, and we it, had we had people over the four days dropping in and out, just mm-hmm. you know maybe laying down apart. If yeah, they'd say, well, the, the, we'd play them a track and say, oh, I could put some put something on that. So then they would. Yeah, yeah. You know, my first question about that is, how does a band from L.A. Like find like a regular situation at an American Legion Hall in Encinitas first right. and foremost. How does that come to pass? We had this is Robert. We had uh, we had friends uh, with some connections to it, and they they tended to do pretty regular uh, Americana and bluegrass country jams there. And okay. we needed a place to play. Really, we just needed to get our sea legs and become a band. That's that's how you learn to be a band is yeah. by playing those kind of shows, and that's where we did it. Yeah, because that seems like something that's in uh, an ethos for this band in general is, you know, not being a studio band per se. Your, your recordings seem to just kind of reflect what you do live as a band. Uh, the band Dawes is like that a right. lot. You know, they don't do a lot of overdubs. You know, there's when the guitar solo, when, when the guitar takes a solo, it's not an overdub solo, though, or even if it is, there's no rhythm part behind it. 
That's what you would hear if That's they were right. playing live because they have one guitar player. So if, if he's playing a solo, there's no other guitar happening in the mix where it's very commonplace in a lot of records. If there's one, if there's, you know, if there's two guitar players in the band, it doesn't matter as much. But if there's one, you just, you normally, they would overdub that solo as, as a common practice. I like that about the uh, first Van Halen record because yeah. they, they did it that way. And actually the only parts that were overdubbed is Eddie Van Halen would go in and play a rhythm guitar under his solo for yeah. eight bars. Yeah. So all the overdubs are just yeah, just padding it out. It's it's a neat approach. Yeah, because that can be you know it's bands approach their the way they make music you know in 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 myriad ways, a million different ways. There's as many ways as there are bands, but you know you tend to kind of divide it one way or another. You're either kind of a live band, you all play together, it's organic, and that's that's the thing. Or you, it's like the Beatles thing, where it's they started out that way, but then they discovered what the studio could do, and the studio became the fifth Beatle, and it became part of the creative process. And then that's when they, you know, it's like uh, the band XTC's like that too. They don't play a lot of live right. shows. The whole thing is about crafting a song and creating a song, and then that becomes the thing. And then there really isn't much of another thing anymore. And the beat, like I said, the Beatles were like that. Well, we're kind of in in the middle in that, you know. Uh, and you mentioned earlier about you know trying to you know limiting yourself in the studio with the technology. Um, you know, we we will overdub stuff, but it's with the the mindset of we have to play this live. So let's not try to create too many parts that right. we're not capable of doing live. You know, Radiohead's really good at that. If you listen right. to any Radiohead record, you know, as as much as it's overdubbed and and doubled and tripled, there's usually only five or six parts that right. can all be covered by guys on stage. Whether it's three of them playing guitar, two playing keyboards, and one guitar. You know, and and you know that was the thing when Pro Tools first came out. All of a sudden, everyone was like, "Oh, we got 96 tracks. Let's we throw, better record let's throw everything tracks. at it." And then when you're mixing it down, or if you pass it on to someone to mix, they're like, "What am I doing here?" So the trick yeah. became using the technology of Pro Tools, but going, "Hey, let's limit ourselves to 16 or 24 tracks and, right. and see what we can." You know, keep it within the realm. Yeah, of reality. I kind of I call it using uh, Pro Tools as a de facto tape machine. Yeah, which yeah. is kind of what I, I like to do. I like to try to keep it as honest possible, as honest as possible, because I want that feel of musicians playing together on the stuff that both I produce and the stuff music that I make. And the the bands that I tend to really love are like that too. I mean, God knows I love the Beatles and right. love lots of bands too. I love XTC too. Love different things for different reasons. How about another tune? What else have you guys? Uh, what else have you guys got for us here? It's more live music. We're talking so much about it. Let's listen to some. <laughs> we got a song called Hudson Valley. We'd like to do. This is also from the new record. Indeed, yeah. All right. So once again, the Far West. So very happy to have these guys. Let's check this out. One, two, three, four. <laughs> I was standing at the station Watching trains leave all day long Headed off to destinations Only heard about in songs And all my restless wonder Left me all alone Wondering how this boy Got so far from home And I'm already gone Been away for far too long 
never seen one single blade. Men say to me, Take me back to the Hudson Valley. Take me back to my New England home where the snow falls oh so heavy in the stream runs oh so cold well I've been all around the world from Paris, France clear through Tennessee and I never seen one scene Say to me Watching trains leave all day long Headed off to destinations I only heard about in songs And all my restless wandering Left me all alone Wondering how this boy Got so far from home And I'm already gone Been away for far too long And I never seen one single place They meant the same to me Take me back To the Hudson Valley Take me back To my new England home My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. I come to you every Wednesday night and bring you some pretty amazing bands from around Los Angeles and around the country and even around the world sometimes. So very happy to have these guys join us. You can check out Far West as well as every band we've had on the show at indepday.com. That's I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. And please follow us on Twitter at In-Depth Day. Please follow us on there. And you can follow the, uh, the Far West at The Far West Band. Follow them or find them on the internet at thefarwestband.com. We've been talking about recording in non-traditional spaces. We've been talking about you know, songwriting. Let's, let's, let's actually just dive into the songwriting just a little bit because you guys have more than one writer in the band. Um, how, do you, you know, how complete are your songs? When, how, how many guys are writing in the band? I guess is the first question. Uh, Lee and I write all the songs. Okay. For, the, for these two records. And then how complete are your songs when you bring them to the rest of the band? Is this, are they arrangements or just how complete are they? I, I think that what we do is we try every technique we can think of to write a song. Um, and so that means that 
sometimes they're just a sketch or sometimes it's a, a full-blown production. Uh, my demos tend to be a little more obsessive, I think, although I'm getting better about that. I'll lay down several guitar parts and try and play some yeah. lead on it and, and even add drums and bass and, and bring it pretty complete. Um, uh, Lee, what's your process? Um, yeah, it's accurate. I, my stuff is much um, less refined. I, it's usually just an acoustic and vocal kind of uh, rough sketch. And then um, once Robert or I bring those uh, demos to the band, we kind of find out where they're going to sit, what the instrumentation is going to be, and um, you know, play with the arrangement a little bit. Um, we try not to be too precious about the material. If someone has an interpretation that might be a little bit different than our intent, but... Um, yeah, we're 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 open to suggestions once we bring it to the room. You know, it takes on a little bit of a different shape usually. Yeah, it's fairly democratic. Once you bring them in, people kind of come up with their own parts and go with it from there. I feel like that's the last step of the of the songwriting is bring it to the band. Um, you know, so that everyone can uh, help shape it. Whether yeah. it's you know moving parts around or, yeah. or coming up with leads. People tend to enjoy playing their parts a lot more if they had a hand in coming True. up with them themselves. Yeah. And I'm not a piano player or a guitar player, so for me to yeah kind of um, impose my uh, thing is not really what I'm going to yeah. do, unless it's a very clear vision that came in one sitting when writing. You know? yeah. Otherwise, it's I'm happy to have someone say what they want to play. Yeah. Do you guys, the writers, do you track stuff like on your phone, on your laptop? Do you sketch things out? Good question. Like what do you, write what do you charts out or All that, whatever is at hand. Sometimes yeah. I'll sing stuff. Uh, leave myself a voicemail, just singing it, yeah. or, or I'll track it in GarageBand on a laptop, write stuff down. Yeah, just to get anything down. I mean, are you one of those, are you guys guys like when you're out in the world, like at standing in line at Ralph's? Do you come up with a line and record it on your phone real quick, or jot it down somewhere? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I tend to write in fragments like that. I'll get a line and then toss the line around in my head for a couple of weeks. Very rarely does a song come in one sitting. It does happen, and when it does come that way, it's great. Is that the most awesome thing in the world? Yeah. It's How rare is that? Yeah, that's <laughs> so rare. I mean, but that, I don't know. I feel like songs are like children. You're like, some kids kind of raise themselves. They don't need a lot of guidance, a little push this way, a little push that way. Don't, don't do that. Right. <laughs> you know, get out of the cookies. Stop or smoking. Stop smoking, whatever. And then some kids, man, are royal terrors. Yeah. Songs are the same way. Where it's like it's like pulling teeth to get them. Like you know, this is a great song. And this is going to be a great thing when it's done. The kid's going to be a genius, but they can't manage themselves. The song, like I feel like the song tells you what it wants to be, but sometimes the song doesn't know what it wants to be. You <laughs> really gotta like, come on, you bastard. You, dude, That's true. Come, come, come to me. Right. Come to butthead. Yeah. You have to. <laughs> beat up a song in the rehearsal studio for a while before you get the the uh, core of what it's yeah what it should be do you guys rehearse all the songs a lot before you record them not really no no we tend to go in and kind of hash it out on the spot usually we yeah. get it we get it loosely together so that we can go record and then we'll yeah. do four or five takes until we've got it there's that sweet spot where people are coming up with that's where you come up with your creative ideas which is kind of on the fly. Like I would record a lot of rehearsals uh, because there's, man, there's one particular song on, on my last record where the best version of that song that's ever been recorded and will ever be recorded was in the rehearsal space, like probably the third time we played it. Yep, that happens. I love, I love the, the like, second time we played Hudson. 
in that that one time right. we rehearsed in a rehearsal and space. that one time I recorded a rehearsal and like but you get you get demoitis you yeah. get used to that version and then you go in the studio and it's not that and you're already used yeah. to it so we call it demo demoitis yeah it's definitely because you, you get. capture that thing and <laughs> and to it's different now because technology is cheaper, but it's still kind of a big production. To rec- even if you're doing it yourself, if you're doing it in a garage, you know, you've got a lot of logistical considerations. You're getting gear, you're getting other people involved. And to have the level of trust where you go in there and just trust yourself that you're going to get what you need the second time you play it. You know, because that's a big, it's kind of a risk because you may not and then it you got to do it again. And it's money too. It's a good feeling though. It's a you know, great you got feeling. a group of guys where you're like, okay, this is going to be fine regardless of whoever you know whatever the mood is or whatever kind of day you're having yeah you know, you're like all right three four takes into this we're gonna we're gonna get this done yeah because even is, big bands do that too go ahead i was gonna say this is lee speaking um circling back to being a live band or a studio band i think personally and i think it it seems to be for all of us that if it's the third or fourth take there's a freshness there that after 20 takes or beating the right. cr- crap out of in rehearsal space for days you lose and it becomes stale. So you start we to like, get towards Steely Dan. Yeah, I like a certain amount of liveliness and have it be a little bit of a tightrope act where you're not sure if it's going to make it all the way through. <laughs> I like that aspect of um, to be on the recording. A it's it's almost like you're covering your own song after like 10 to 15 takes. You know it so well and you're anticipating parts. It's almost like you're playing a song you heard off a record. Yeah. You know, whereas when you go in and it's fresh, you're still kind of catching things and, it, and it's happening and it's got that spontaneity and once once you get past those first couple takes it's like okay here comes that solo and you're anticipating yeah. it it's, it's it's not the same it feels it feels yeah. canned yeah. yeah so do you guys do you guys have a regular practice schedule or do you or what no once a week twice a week once a year early on starting with the first record the first record was really our set at the time and the way we paid for that first record was by going out and playing every club backyard party and legion hall that would have us and you know we raised about a thousand dollars to do that and so when we went in to record that first record we just we laid down the set um and we've played almost non-stop since then we've just been yeah. playing you know sometimes three nights a week for years yeah and we've gotten into the habit of making our rehearsal just live shows yeah so um we don't rehearse that much anymore except for big shows or pre-production for the record. Yeah. yeah, if there's a specific song we need to learn for a specific thing, either a new song that someone just brought to the band or if we're, you know, going into a session and it's a song we want to record that we haven't played live, you know, we'll get together at the rehearsal space and and hash it out for 2-3 hours, but you know, yeah, we play live so much that, you know, yeah. once, you know, once we've played a song live 20, 30 times, there's yeah, really yeah. no there's nothing playing in a rehearsal room by ourselves is going to do that to change it. Do you ever worry about like saturation point? Because there's that whole theory that you should only play so many times in your home, your hometown, like per year. Well, we or play, we play on the road a lot and we play a lot of, you know, weird and interesting out of town gigs. You know, we're not just playing, you know, at the echo or the yeah. troubadour where, you know, we're not, we're not saturating the LA market per se. I mean, we do play those shows, but, you know, it's every few months we'll do yeah. one big show, but m- the majority of the time we're out of town or on the road. Yeah, how far are you getting on the road? Um, uh, this is Robert Austin, Texas. I think Austin, Houston area. That's the furthest we played so far. Although this this fall we're going, you know, all the way to East Coast. Yeah, New York. But our you know our our latest jam has been kind of Southwest. Yeah. You know, we'll go 
up and we'll go as far north up in the Bay Area, up into Oregon. Um, we've played, you know, five, six cities in New Mexico, Colorado, yeah. Arizona, all over Texas, all over California. That, do you, you guys know, own the, a van? Uh, we do not. Looking for one. You got yeah. one? You uh, one for sale? No, I don't. <laughs> I, have, I have a truck, which is, a, you know, about yeah. kind of the same thing. We will need a van because last tour we put about 6,000 miles on this thing that we rented and it costs. A little more than yeah, yeah, yeah. Than an auto. Trying to do the the rental gas tour math. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right there. Yeah, and that's you know with gas prices being what they are. I mean, that's a huge challenge for bands nowadays. I mean, gas right now. I think, man, last night I bought gas at midnight at a place where I, I kind of had to because I was leaving work late and I was out of gas and I right. think I dropped four twenty nine a gallon. Yeah, which okay. and it goes up from there. Yeah, you know that's the cheap stuff, man. Yeah. yeah. Well. No way around it, I guess. Yeah, well, it's just it. You know, that's the geographical challenge of bands from the Southwest too, mm-hmm. is that the you know the whistle stops, the 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 places between cities that you can play in is much greater. I mean, if you live in uh, I don't know Roanoke, Virginia, or you live in South Carolina, you know, you can go up and down the coast in a matter of hours, you know, and play a trillion places. Like here, you know, finding a place between LA and San Francisco. I mean, I guess there's Bakersfield. Uh, Santa Barbara. I mean, you guys would know better than I. Sacramento. Yeah, but you're right that it is. They are fewer and far between. Yeah, yeah. So we'll often do a 12-hour haul between cities if we have to. I mean, yeah. it's very common out west, and that is kind of an unfortunate part states of the landscape. Are big <laughs> yeah, out big, here. big states. But you—that's the thing. You can do it. Like let's take on a Texas circuit. There's those bands that play almost exclusively in Texas, and they make a living at it because Texas is so big that you can make a living playing just in Texas. And California's almost like that, too. We've got a lot of people here, a lot of people. Uh, and you mentioned before the Grand Ole Echo. You guys are playing this Sunday night at the Grand Ole Echo, which is this great uh, music series that happens all summer long. It was you know, founded by Kim Grant and some other really great people who've just done great things for music in Los Angeles. And it tends to lean towards the country-ish side of rock and roll music. But you'll see some, you'll hear feedback there. Mm-hmm. There's some Rocky bands there from time to time. Oh, yeah. And you guys did this, you did more than once, because you guys did a video, I think, we at the did. Grand Ole Echo. Was we that did last our season? Music video uh, last September at last season's Grand Ole Echo. And yeah. we've, we've played every year there since the band's been together. Yeah. And it's a really cool event because people bring their kids, and you know, there's like dancing, and like some people show up and do a line dancing. I mean, right. not like, you can not s- like a whole group of white people doing the thing like you see <laughs> on country music TV. Right, but. Right. No, we're, yeah, we're not that. It's not that country, it's the other country. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can see the uh, the song you played earlier, "The Bright Side." Uh, yeah. We shot a video for that at the Grand Ole Echo, and you can you can see all of that, the whole crew and the dancing and the yeah. And it's well, it's really fun too because it it ends early, which I like very much, honestly. Yeah. You know, like I always just tell people, like I'd get scheduled for. I've played in bands for 20 years, and how many shows have I played on Tuesday at midnight? And I right, tell my right. friends, like, you know, I don't, if you don't come, that's totally cool because I wouldn't go see me at, or anybody <laughs> for that matter. I mean, I might go see a resurrected John Lennon sure. at Tuesday at midnight, but there are very few people that I'm going to go see Tuesday night. It's, at it's great on a Sunday. I mean, it starts at five, yeah. it's over by nine o'clock, it's free, you know, it's uh, day it's, drinking. Now yeah. it starts at three, they change the. Uh, oh, really? And it's, it's wrapping up earlier too, isn't it? Yeah, instead of nine, it's start. It ends at eight. So it used to be five to nine. Now it's three to eight. Ooh, right? I like that. So with drink specials, yeah. the earlier you come. And that's uh, you know that's very pleasing to me. I feel like that's very civilized because you think about okay, what time does Tom Petty play? You go see Tom Petty. What time right. does he play? Eleven thirty. Nine. <laughs> he starts his show at nine, and he's he's done by eleven thirty. Yeah. You know who? When does 
I don't know, when does Sunville play? They play at nine. Yeah. You know, that's that's when people want to go see music. I don't, you know, even when I was 20, I didn't want to go see a band at midnight. I got, I got, I got to, right. got to go to bed. I got to chase girls. Yeah. <laughs> There's beer to drink, man. Yeah, you got to go to work the next day. Indeed, indeed I do. Yeah, no one wants to go see a band, at, uh, the fifth band go on at 1230 on a Tuesday night. Yeah. You know, it was just a joke. You know, you're not headlining, you're just playing last. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you say that all the time. Yeah. yeah. I, I would always, you know, try to do the earlier set, even before my friends were old and had kids. Anyway, how about uh, another tune you guys have got? We've got enough time for maybe two more here. What's this next tune going to be? This song is Walk Light on This Poor Heart. Okay. It's one of those songs we talked about that just came together in 15 minutes. Oh, man. Don't you love that? Love it. Love that. It's like my favorite thing in the world. It's like, uh, it's like the powers that be just bestowed it upon you. Right. And it's like self-contained. Boop, here it is. Yeah. I love it when that happens. You put up a big antenna hoping for that, but it doesn't always happen that way. All right. So I'm talking to the Far West group of guys based in Los Angeles. They're originally from all over the country, but they are here now making great music. About four years into their career, they got two records, and I sincerely suggest that all of you should go pick up their record and check them out. So this is the band Walk Light on This Poor Heart. The Far West on Independence Day.
I love songs in 6-8. Anything in triple meter. I've got a rule that every album should have a song in triple meter because I think people, it's a subliminal thing. Like so much music is just in four and the non-musicians will have no idea what I'm talking about. But you know it. You, you can feel it. A waltz, essentially, is what you're doing. Uh, you know, like so many styles, because hip hop is so prevalent, you know, those styles are like the most popular styles and there's not a whole lot of hip hop in triple meter. Right. I don't think. Can't dance uh, to it. Can't dance. Well, you, yeah, well, it's a different kind of dancing, I guess. Twerking, whatever. That, I don't think I've ever <laughs> actually even said that word out loud until just now. <laughs> don't, don't. I'm ashamed of myself. <laughs> we can probably go back and edit this out. I'm ashamed of myself. <laughs> so you guys have got some, like I said, we were talking about touring a little bit before. We'll get that last song in in just a second, but let's talk about what you guys got coming up. We talked about the Echo, right. which is coming up this Sunday night, and you guys are playing last. So you're like the de facto headliner, I think, correct? Correct. That's right. Yes. Okay, so come should come early because every band on there, I don't think I've ever seen a, a bad band on that bill. Right. Um, and it tends to be kind of rootsy, but for free, you know, you get what you pay for, right? And, you know, in between, uh, during the changeovers, between the bands, they always have a band out on the back porch playing yeah. the changeovers, so it's continuous. Usually yeah. bluegrass or string band kind of thing. It's the like a little porch. mini music festival. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really great. Yeah. And they have food and drinks available. My only complaint about that, man, is the drinks are expensive. I mean, <laughs> you know, they're again, they're not charging you to get in the door, so I right. shouldn't complain. But like, I remember I'm a fancy beer man. I'm a very, very fancy beer man. And, you know, I just want to get a nice IPA, and it's like $8 for a bottle of IPA. <laughs> I, I, it's, I can afford it. It's like an ethical consideration for me. <laughs> so you're saying don't come to the show? No, no, no. no, no, this, no. This, year, this year is going to be different. They have drink specials. You're not going to pay $8 okay. for your... They have an IPA drink special? I, I think the earlier... <laughs> We're not in charge of that part of the show. I know, I know. I'm the earlier that you're there, then the better the drink prices yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just, a, it's just a funny thing. When you become a fancy, fancy-ass beer guy, yeah. you know, it's like it's just hard to drop eight bucks it's on discrimination. one discrimination. My Lord Almighty. <laughs> it is discrimination against middle-aged white guys. Uh, so, you've got, so you've got shows up and down the coast all through this month, all through, all through May, I should say. have got a great one in uh, June at the Troubadour. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the Dave list here. June Phil 14th, Alvin. which is Flag Day, for those of you who are ah, paying attention right. to that kind of thing. So you're opening for Dave and Phil Alvin. That's yes. right. A little legendary. And what a legendary room. Like, you get in there, you can just feel the ghosts of all the amazing shows that have been there over through the years. Love that venue. And it's a great place to see a venue because it's those are my favorite venues, which are front to back. They're shallow. Mm-hmm. But they're right. wide, mm-hmm. so you're just all you're never far from from seeing. It's all the sight lines are great. Love that place. And then you guys are getting on the road uh, later this summer. Looks like you'll be out in Idaho in August. You're going to be in Ohio in September. You're going to be in New York through September there too. Uh, are you going to be driving the whole way? Or are you yes. going to like oh, yeah. fly some stuff? Yes, I think we're going to tour all the way out and back. Okay, so you're going to piece in some more like legs. Oh yeah, this is, those are just parts of like a, the anchor gig yeah, so far. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah, man, because everybody does it differently. I, I, met, I met a guy a few years ago I had on the show who went to South by Southwest in a Prius and took his entire band wow. in the Prius. He had like hmm. a three-piece band. So they like took apart the whole drum set and nested the drums like Russian bears wow. inside the drums. And all the hardware went, you know, as much in there. And they, they did a whole thing. It was amazing. Love to be able to do that. Boy, the gas would just be, yeah. you know, 500 miles <laughs> Set up 35 bucks. Right. Know. But, uh, you know, everybody does it differently. So when you get that new van, you'll be driving it across the country. Do you guys fight over what gets on the stereo in the van, or are you guys tastes pretty much overlap a lot? Uh, it's, uh, it's pretty democratic. Uh, usually uh, that's uh, one of the shotgun's duties is to uh, DJ and go through the okay. CDs. But, you know, we're, all, we're pretty uh, open to what everyone wants to hear and, and yeah. conscious of the mood of, you know, if it's 2 in the morning versus uh, yeah, yeah, 10 definitely. in the morning, what type yeah, of music Yeah, no cowboy junkies play. after midnight. Mm-hmm. Right. But, uh, yeah, we don't, we don't want to put the driver to sleep. But, 
Yeah, it's it's great, and we all discover new music that way because everyone's got these interesting little yeah. quirky tastes that fall outside of the typical rock and roll yeah. Americana world, and you know. Leo put on a you know weird '80s Paul Simon record that I've never heard, and and I'll be like, "Wow, this is great front to back." Or yeah. we'll put you know any any number of examples. Yeah, because that's a little great way to learn about you know even if it's not new music, but like new music to you. That's, yeah, that's really great. It's like people you know and love, and they you trust their taste. And what that's was how you the uh, Lee? This is Aaron. Uh, Lee, what was the the Brian Eno record you put on? It was all recordings oh, of uh, train stations or something. I forget the name of that one. Do you know tubes? that one? The tubes. It's something like that. I know that. he's done some stuff like it's that. It's just each train station. It's like Kentish, Kentish Town. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Leicester the, Square. It's the, it's just the sound of the train. Yeah, coming guys like going. Eno who get like mailbox money from all the crazy stuff. That all the amazingly you know profitable records that sold in the eighties. Right. Uh, you know he can just do whatever he wants and put it out. But that one only lasted about twenty minutes. Yeah, it not was a kind of late night and <laughs> driving records. Do you guys, do you guys have other like van rules? You know, it's like I remember there are bus rules, like no no number two in the loo. Oh uh, yeah, bus. definitely no number two in the van. Uh, <laughs> that's a, a rule. Um, <laughs> Respect the van. Okay. You know, somebody peed on the van once and we just <laughs> left them there. It wasn't a, a band member, but... Not a band member, but a friend. So don't yeah. do that. Don't do that. And he went ahead and did it, so we just drove away. <laughs> um, yeah, respect the van. Try not to uh, do anything too smelly, you know? Yeah. I feel like the, the driver... I feel like the driver gets veto power on the, on the music, though. Yeah. Because I feel like if you're driving, like, you're... You know, that's a thing. You right. Know, all your lives are in that person's hand. That's right. And, like, if they... If you put on, you know, the Eno record with the train station, and, uh, you know, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. That's great for when you're driving, but when I'm driving, I don't want to hear and, that. And Shotgun stays awake at night to, yeah, to that's keep a good, the driver That's a good alert. Rule. And then everyone else just... One of our hobbies on the road is collecting band rules, like how to be in a band sort of rules. And we found lists from guys like you know, B.B. King and Robert Johnson and Dave Grohl, and just everybody has these rules. One of my favorites from Robert Johnson was eat everything that they feed you when you're on the road and always carry bare aspirin, which I thought was a pretty interesting Interesting. thing. Are you getting fed by most places when you're out? Yeah, yeah. It's usually part of the... Nine out of ten times. The worst tour food I ever had was in Houston, which is funny because they have good barbecue there. But man, that was not pleasant. Don't get sushi in Houston. I don't know if that's true. It just sounds like it should be a rule. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. Bar- barbecue is is a good go to in, in in most of Texas. You know, in Austin, you're blessed with yeah. A very eclectic. We played Stubbs once, and they really of, take care of you oh, there. Oh, yeah. great food. And you know, and God, in Boston, we got a lobster one time. Like every guy in the band got a lobster. Wow. Yeah. And then in Seattle, Seattle was probably the best. They had a stir fry bar. Fantastic. With like everything you want, they could put it all together. And then there was this place, God, it was in New Jersey. Like I've never seen craft services like this. They had like a little cafeteria with a, a cotton candy machine and a, mm. like a whole machine, a popcorn wow. machine. Like it's so interesting. Like it, there's the whole gamut. You know, there's nice like touch. there's places yeah. where like they'll you get a, like a lukewarm subway sandwich in a bag. Right. Or there's the place where you get a lobster. Like right. you never yeah, know. Yeah, Virginia Beach. I remember getting an entire table of just. Crab, like they put down the paper, yeah. and it's like literally like a five by six foot table, and just a mountain of crab, and that's yeah. just how they do it. What, um, what's your favorite thing about touring? We do a lot of green chili tours since we're in the southwest. <laughs> yeah, North yeah. New Mexico. Yeah, we did about six days <laughs> straight straight in New Mexico green of eating green chili, and it was lovely and glorious. Yeah. A lot of yeah. great food, you know. Uh, we I, it, originally, I mean, it's cool to see those new routes, but now we kind of beat a really well-worn path between certain cities so we've yeah. seen those i mean it's great to go eat that food and stuff but i would like to see some new um uh, landscapes so i'm excited to hit some places we haven't hit like idaho 
but being on the move is kind of infectious once you yeah. get into that. It, it becomes a lifestyle. It's never sleeping in the same place twice and meeting really? new people, really generous people, people that are really good to you. It kind of is a good reminder. Yeah. It really it, focuses the mind from the time you get up till the time you're going to sleep. You are focusing on your performance in yeah. one way or another, whether it's getting ready for it or unloading. or Yeah. I like taking the music to the people. That's what I like to do. It's really just... They ought to put that on a t-shirt. Yeah, take it to the people. <laughs> Taking the music to the people. Right, because I, th- I think what we do, the, the songs we write and what we sing about is salt of the earth kind of stuff. And when we take it to the people, and uh, we played a great show at the White Horse in Austin, Texas, just maybe two months ago. And, you know, people danced. The dance floor was packed. Yeah. It was fantastic. It's nice when you get to the point where you've got relationships with people on the road, too, where you come back and it's like the same front of house guy or the same promoter or the same booking person. And, you know, it's like, oh, hey, it's you, you know, Roger or whatever your name is. Like, that's fun. Yeah, we, we tend to anchor a lot in Austin. You know, we'll go out to Austin and we'll spend three, four days there. You know, we have friends yeah. with houses there that put us up. So it's nice to eat and do laundry and yeah. hang out and not be in the van all day and, you know, play two, three shows around town before you work your way back. It's a nice, yeah. nice break. So one thing I find really interesting about bands is that, you know, you guys are very much like this alt country, no depression style band. But every band, I, I find this without fail, like every band or artist that comes in here, I like to ask the question, what, what are their guilty pleasures? Like music that's in your collection that I might be surprised or people might be surprised to hear given what you play. Uh, this is Aaron. I love the Bee Gees. I grew up on that. Uh, you know, I was a youngster in the disco era. And uh, my parents listened to that. You know, my first, my first two records were Kiss Alive and the Grease soundtrack. Okay. So, you know, right there already, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, and when I was a kid, you know, I had, there were Billy Joel records and Journey records, all that, you know, FM, power pop stuff, yeah. you know, anything with a hook. It all gets in I was your head. Into. Yeah. It all gets in there somewhere. You know, I mean, uh, uh, Sam Beam's most recent, uh, second to most recent record from Iron and Wine, he said the whole theme of that was... It was reflecting the, the, his parents' record collection that he grew up mm. with. So there are little bits of reggae-esque thing in there and like 70s breezy pop and all these things. It's like I, I wanted to pay homage to that. Uh, Lee, how about you? When you say guilty pleasure, do you mean like secret shame? <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, what, what's, the, what's, the, you know, what's the handful of records that if, if, you know, if uh, a new girl came to your apartment for the first time and hide. while you were in the bathroom <laughs> that she saw it on your uh, she saw it on your shelf and then she would be gone when you came out of the yeah. bathroom. My secret shame is fish, probably. Interesting. I've seen okay. a, a whole lot of fish shows in the '90s, and uh, I'm not allowed to play any in the van. Doesn't go over. Uh, <laughs> so that's probably my secret shame. But I also listen to a lot of Matador record stuff from the '90s, Yola Tango or Pavement or. Um, Sonic Youth, that kind of stuff, and that yeah, noisy stuff. Yeah, I love Pavement. They're like, one of my favorites. Yeah, give me forty minutes of feedback. That's fine. Lou Reed, Metal Machine, or something like that. And that—that's uh, probably um, people wouldn't expect that hearing our our music, but that's yeah. a secret guilty pleasure of mine. And you, Robert? Last but not least, of course, sixties uh, and seventies soul and funk music, like Otis. Yeah, definitely Otis. I think the first record I bought, independent of my parents' influence, was a Marvin Gaye record. His last one, I think. You know, it was just in the record store in a cut bin, and I bought it and loved it. And then, you know, the 70s stuff, like Chic and uh, Rick James, just the, it's the bass lines, man. Yeah. James Jamerson? Yeah, absolutely. With that one finger? Man, that guy could conquer the world with that one little he finger. He really could. He's unreal. The hook. Play, yeah. Yeah. And I, I can't play like it, but I can imitate him, and I love what he does. Yeah. So, Rick, have you guys seen the Muscle Souls documentary? 
Yeah, I just saw it like yesterday, two I days ago. Yeah. yeah, very, very cool. I mean, I love the fact that it's just all these cracker-ass dudes. Right. <laughs> 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 white guys <laughs> defining yeah. that sound. Yeah, I mean, I always knew that so many people were there, but I guess I didn't know that Traffic was the first band to take those guys on the road. That's oh, one I thing I learned that. from the documentary, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, I and love the... Were, uh, was it, it was either Gladys Knight or Aretha. I forget. I said, I didn't expect these guys to be so greasy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> she meant, like, sound-wise. Like, they yeah. just had that funk. Yeah. I love yeah. that quote. It's definitely something in the water there, man. I love that. I love yeah. that place. My folks live about 30 miles from there, not too far. That's a good Jason place Isbell's from. from that basic area. A lot of the drive-by truckers came from there originally, though they live in, been living in Athens for the past decade. Yeah, it's neat when places have that kind of energy. I think the high desert has some yeah. of that similar. Like whenever you go up there, it feels kind of special. We, yeah. we need to do a record up, up, you know, up by Pat. A lot of artists. Tim yeah. Easton was out there for a few years, right. and he did a bunch of recording up there. You know, and it does get in. It gets into your soul. It's a whole different thing. Because people think of Joshua Tree as this place. It's a legendary place, of course. We lost Graham there, uh, Graham Parsons. But I mean, the park is huge. But Joshua Tree, the town itself, literally, if you blink, you will miss it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a, one stop, and there's not much there. You know, it's kind of a loose amalgam of all the people who kind of live out in the desert near there. There's, there is like a center crossroads of the town, but it's not much of a town square. It's a very small town, America, but in, but in a interest, weirdly yeah. large scale huge because of vibe. the surroundings. and Yeah, huge vibe. Huge vibe for a small place. Love that place. Let's, let's shift gears just a little bit, and I want to get to that, well, that last tune. Um, are you guys all, are you full-time music people in the band or are you, I mean, are you supplementing your income with other things? Because you're kind of at that area where you're kind of stuck in the middle maybe. Yeah, yeah we're right about in the middle. I, I have other jobs that I need to do to make rent. It doesn't, at this level, no one's making a living off yeah. of um, what we do yet. Ho- hopefully that'll... It's a goal though, right? Absolutely. Be, if we could make a living at this, that would be the dream. Yeah. Um, but for now, I think everyone has other forms of income, different little things, odd jobs they have to do. Yeah, and it's easier in a town like L.A. because there are so many different things you can do to make money, the opportunities. And I'm not talking like, you know, mad money or whatever, mad right. fat stacks like the kid from Breaking Bad would say. But uh, fat stacks, mad stacks, whatever he said, Jesse Pinkman. Um, but Science. Science. But there's, there's so much to do, you know, because there's so many people, there's just so much opportunity. And there's a lot of people in your situation, my situation, where you're kind of piecing together a whole, you know, your whole income out of like eight different things. Right. You know, and that's cool. And their understandings, you know, uh, Jeremiah Samartano, who oh, was yeah. on the show, a uh, slide guitar player, he's touring all the time. Yes. And I was surprised to find out that his gig, his regular gig was Trader Joe's. Right. Mm-hmm. But they're super cool with that. Like, he'll go and he'll, like, he's got a situation where, because he goes out for weeks at a time. That's right. And he'll, you know, he'll come back and they'll kind of just, he's got this like loose hire situation where they'll come back and like, They'll just hire him again, and he'll work for six months and plan his tour, and then go out and tour for two months, and they'll let him go do that and then come back. I mean, what a great opportunity yeah, to have that. Yeah, he's got a nice setup. Jeremiah is a good friend of ours, and we often kind of cross paths with him because he's always on the road. So we yeah. saw him in Arizona a couple months ago because he was out there too. And yeah. um, we always do talk about how great a setup he's got. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to hit you guys up for this, too. I kept trying to get him to bring me back some beer. The last time I drove across I-40 oh, yeah. in uh, Albuquerque, there's a great brewery called La Cumbre, uh, which I love their IPA. And I tried to talk him into bringing me some back, but he never answered my Facebook post. He's a big post. hophead. He's, yeah. That's part of his thing is he'll yeah. go hit breweries and yeah. play them if possible. But if not, he's hitting all the... Uh, yeah. Kind of craft breweries. I've always wanted stuff. to do a tour, which was like exclusively craft breweries. That's what he's. All the problem about. was, I don't think I would ever. I don't think I would survive that tour <laughs> because, well, for obvious reasons. Anyway, all right. How about one last tune? We've got enough time to squeeze one more under the wire here. What's this last tune going to be, gentlemen? 
Uh, this one's called Words from a Letter. All right. And this is also on the new record, yes. too? Yes. Yep. All right. Love, love the new stuff. But you've already got new material written, right? Yeah, we're back in the studio already. Man. That's the thing. It's pretty common with bands because, you know, it takes, even if you do a band, an album quickly, if you're always writing, you're going to have new material well, before these the two, album even drops. This is Aaron. Uh, these two are pretty pro- <coughs> prolific. Um, so, yeah, we're, you know, we're already five, six deep yeah. into a new record. You've started recording the record yeah. already? Oh, yeah. And it's like Duran Duran. <laughs> every six months, right? We're, we're almost Duran to the Duran. point where we could do a record every six months. I, we're, we've almost got enough material that we could record every six months. Yeah. Love it, man. Well, guys, keep doing what you're doing. Let's hear this track. Uh, this is Words from a Letter, The Far West, here on Independence Day. I'm sorry I'm asking your forgiveness. You were right and I was wrong all along. I was foolish and I was reckless This is my apology right here in this song But these are words from a letter I'll never send Yeah, these are lines from a note that you'll never get I don't know why Yes, I went down to the bar too much While I was shooting pool with the boys We were losing touch And I pretended like everything was alright And I couldn't see a stone behind your eyes But these are words from a letter I'll never send these are lines from a note that you'll never get I don't know why I'd even write these words from a letter you understand Don't know. 
the far west on independence day with an up-tempo tune that's like a bar room like country rocker there man i love that do people when you play like the up <laughs> when people play the up-tempo stuff do people like get up and do the dancing oh thing? yeah oh yeah yeah that's cool you know, it's funny being like a white guy. It sounds terrible to be like so like not racist, but kind of race sensitive about it because like white people don't dance as much as it's a other different cultures. Style. Different style. But I love dancing. You know, yeah. and I have there's certain stuff that inspires me to do that. And that's the, certainly the kind of stuff that does. So I love hearing that kind of thing. Uh, it's great, great, great stuff. People should pick up this record. So, all right, so boys, you've got some dates coming up. Like we said, we're going to be at the Echo this Sunday night. Everybody should go out and see that. It's free. Uh, you'll be at Standing Standing Sun Winery and Santa Inez uh, on the 24th of May. Troubadour, big show there, opening for Dave and Phil Alvin. That's going to be a cool show. Idaho, Ohio, New York. So uh, you guys are going to be promoting. How do you promote something in New York if it's kind of the first time you've been out there? Just kind of... Uh, we have a, a publicity agent, Kim Fowler, oh, okay. Two Dog Media out of Nashville, and she's going to start doing the uh, radio push sometimes. Very sooner. nice. Yeah. Man, that's like the best thing in the world, because the least favorite thing about music for me is booking shows. I would rather go to the dentist <laughs> and have them yeah. pull out all my teeth than book shows. It's <laughs> one of the reasons I don't, I don't play that much, because I hate it so much. Mm-hmm. Like if I The first thing I'll do if I ever get like a gravy job, whether it's in music or otherwise, is just pay someone to book my shows, because I right. hate doing that. Yeah. Anyway, enough negative, <laughs> negativity for the second. Uh, so you guys got a lot of shows coming up. I wish you the best of luck with this new record. People should pick up your stuff at shows. Keep these guys working. Keep them on the road. We'd love to hear what you guys are up to. So guys, thank you so much for coming, and I appreciate thank it. You, thank, thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Thanks. Thanks for having us. So thank you to the Far West, also to the Independence Day staff, Valentino Rivera, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The unstoppable Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. Please be good to one another.